Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Uh, when I was in junior high, I did a couple crazy things. Uh, well, I was in junior high, I did a lot of crazy things. But one in particular was I ended up taking a speech class, and we had to learn how to read uh, publicly. I'm not very good at that, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't think at least, so I typically don't do it in terms of just straight reading. But I wanted to read some of the 95 Thesis to you. It seemed fitting. Because again, on October 31st of 1517, Martin Luther trotted over to the door of the Wittenberg Church and he posted what he titled, Disputation of Dr. Martin Luther on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences. And he stated in that, this is from the Spath, Reed, and Jacobs translation, Out of love for the truth and the desire to bring it to light, the following propositions will be discussed at Wittenberg under the presidency of the Reverend Father Martin Luther, Master of Arts and of Sacred Theology, and Lecturer in Ordinary on the same at that place. Uh, I'm really glad we don't have to go through all our credentials every time we, we stand up here. Uh, if only because they might not be as long as that. But I'm sorry, continuing on in the middle of that quote. Wherefore, he requests that those who are unable to be present and debate orally with us may do so by letter. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You can tell from that he clearly intended to turn the church upside down. Actually, he didn't at all. He was going to do a normal thing. They put things on the church door all the time. And you can picture this great pounding, but he wasn't causing a ruckus. In fact, all he wanted to do was start a little discussion. This would probably be the equivalent of after or before a morning service, going out to our cafe and inviting some people or going to your Sunday school class or going out to lunch and inviting people to discuss the sermon for the day. We're not talking about a revolution yet. And in it, he said such radical things as one, this is the numbers on here correspond, if you see them on the screen, to the 95, different points of the 95 Theses. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said, I'm just going to skip the lad, sorry, willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. Those are fighting words, except they aren't. Those are words you'd expect from any pastor or priest throughout history. He didn't think it would be a radical statement. And two, this word cannot be understood to mean sacramental penance, i.e. confession and satisfaction, which is administered by the priest. Okay, now he is trampling on some toes. But it wasn't his intent. Three, yet it means not inward repentance only. Nay, there is no inward repentance which does not outwardly work diverse mortifications of the flesh. Okay, granted, in the 95 Thesis, he is openly rebuking some of his fellow clergymen. There's many of them, but two in particular, point 27. They preach men who say that so soon as the penny jingles into the money box, the soul flies out of purgatory is understood. I've got to be honest, the flow is lost a little bit on translation in that one. Or they had horrible admin. I mean, just very bad advertisers at the time, and that was not the case, to be honest. 
These were skilled orators. You put them in public, and if they were to read, they would capture your ears and your eyes. That was their job, to, in the middle of a city, draw your attention to whatever they had to say. Verse 33. Men must be on their, or not verse, sorry, point 33. Men must be on their guard against those who say that the Pope's pardons are that inestimable gift of God by which man is reconciled to him. And there are many other throughout the 95 Theses that are direct quotes or at least paraphrases of other priests like Johannes Tetzel. In that part, I think he expected to cause some stir. I don't think he meant this to be fiery at all when he spoke for the Pope, although I'm not sure Pope Leo X, who was the Pope at the time, appreciated Martin Luther very much after this moment. If he knew who he was before, he, he probably had a different opinion afterwards. But the fifth, art, or fifth Theses, the Pope does not intend to remit and cannot remit any penalties other than those which he has imposed either by his own authority or by that of the canons. 20, therefore, by full remission of all penalties, the Pope means not actually of all, but only of those imposed by himself. 48, Christians are to be taught that the Pope, in granting pardons, needs, and therefore desires their devout prayer for him more than the money they bring. And it gets better and better. 49, Christians are to be taught that the Pope's pardons are useful if they do not put their trust in them but altogether harmful if through them they lose their fear of God. You can imagine being the Pope. How do you argue with this guy? Because you can't say he's wrong, and yet I don't know that Leo, and I know that people like Tetzel did not agree with him. 50. Christians are to be taught that if the Pope knew the exactions of the pardon preachers, he would rather that St. Peter's Church should go to ashes than that it should be built up with the skin, flesh, and bones of his sheep. 51, Christians are to be taught that it would be the Pope's wish, as it is his duty to give of his own money to very many of those from whom certain hawkers of pardons cajole money, even though the church of St. Peter might have to be sold. You can imagine if people said that about grace, how you might respond. 52, again speaking for the Pope, and there are many others along these lines. The assurance of salvation by letters of pardon is vain, even though the commissary, nay, even though the Pope himself were to stake his soul upon it. I would imagine the Pope wasn't very happy at that point. However, it's very clear, at least from a Protestant background, as you read Martin Luther's theses, and to be honest, if you read it, there probably were a a few that you were uncomfortable with. He doesn't break nearly as much as he ended up breaking from the church. But his clear objective is shown in a few other ones, like 45. Christians are to be taught that he who sees a man in need and passes him by and gives his money for pardons purchases not the indulgences of the Pope, but the indignation of God. 46. Christians are to be taught that unless they have more than they need, They are bound to keep back what is necessary for their own families and by no means to squander it on pardons. 47, Christians are to be taught that the buying of pardons is a matter of free will and not of commandment. 53, they're enemies of Christ and of the Pope who bid the word of God be altogether silent in some churches 
in order that pardons may be preached in others. That one's painful to hear. And you think, how could anybody ever say such a statement? And then, if you're old enough, you think back on some of the absurd statements you've heard people say in church, whether private or public. And you realize sometimes we aren't that far off from where they were. 54, injury is done the word of God when in the same sermon an equal or a longer time is spent on pardons than on his word. I don't want to take too much time lest I break that one, (laughs) reading the 95 thesis and skipping scripture. Along just the lines of thought, I don't know what you were doing on your Halloween of 1517. Hopefully none of us were around. If you were, I want to know what you're drinking, though. There's some, apparently you have some good medicine. I don't know what you or I were doing, but Martin Luther was accidentally turning the church on its ear. And it wasn't his intention, but as the ecclesiastical and the theological dust settled, or perhaps as he kicked it up, the reformers rallied around the five solas. And it's significant to us because it is so much a part of how we think we don't understand how revolutionary it was at the time. Hopefully that means we are such people of his word that it just oozes out of us in our mushiness. That would be a good thing. Hopefully it's not because we are (laughs) neglectful of church history. Because if that's the case, it's all too easy to fall back into the patterns of poor teaching and even heresy. And in looking back, the three that we looked at last week, sola scriptura, by scripture alone, that is how we live, that is how we think, that is how we are saved through the truths in scripture through Christ's work. Scripture alone, not the voices of men, not the opinions, really, of men. Sola fide, or faith alone, is how we are saved. There's no work that will pop back up tonight. It's putting our faith in Christ. The third one, and these are very similar, all five of them. Sola gracia, grace alone. And I love how, and, and it's very obvious, it's so obvious, if you can't pull the verse, that's okay, but you, you're thinking of it now. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 are at the core of this. We are saved by grace through faith alone, or by faith through grace alone, excuse me. The last two, the two that we're going to look at tonight, Solo Cristo, if you're a Star Wars fan, or Solas Christas, it's another way to put it, by or through Christ alone is how we are saved. Again, those are the Latin words It's found in Scripture, and these are things that the Reformers, statements, a a doctrinal creed from the moment that they landed upon to say, this is what we believe. If you agree with us, then you are biblical, then you are Christian. If you do not, then you're challenging the words of Christ because it's clear. It's saturated throughout all of God's Word. And it's Scripture alone, and faith alone, and grace alone, and Christ alone. And the last one in a minute, to the glory of God alone. But first, through or by Christ alone, we are saved by no one else and through no other way. Not ourselves, not the church, 
not anything else, Christ alone. Turn to John 14. This is hopefully a very familiar passage. It's one of the many I am statements throughout John, a wonderful series or thing to look for as you read through John is the different times Christ says I am and you know it was a significant moment when everyone around him panicked they freaked out they either wanted to kill him or they were just completely unaware of what they should do but knew they had to respond it was very different than you or my you or I just saying I'm here today Powerful statements throughout, I am, and this is one of them. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not a lot of room for discussion there, and yet throughout history, Christians have tried to to push that a little beyond. It's Christ's end. And it's an endless, nearly infinite list, not quite, because we aren't We are finite, including our words. But we add thing after thing after thing after thing. Christians and this, or Christians and not this, because we we can add works by not doing things too. And we, we disguise to our shame or cover up Christ in the process. Instead of pointing to Christ and saying it's through Christ alone, There is nothing else. And he said, again, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the only way. I'm the only way. Really, the only way. Not church attendance, not baptism, not by having the entire Bible memorized. There are scholars at different theological seminaries, I use that word loosely at this point, that have portions or complete the entire Bible memorized that don't believe it. So it's not memorization. Those are all good things, but it's through Christ alone that we are saved, that we are saved. Even the Old Testament, the Bible makes it clear that those are saved from the Old Testament is through the work of Christ. That's a fun journey to figure out and discussion and thing to try to land upon and yet it is very clear. They're not saved on their own and they were not saved through their observances of the law. They were saved through faith. And it's fun to try to figure out how much they knew but they were looking to the Messiah. They happened to be looking forward to. We happen to be looking backward to. But we are both saved through Christ and Christ alone. And the place as Christians that we perhaps most often err in this is as we try to defend the the poor person who is trapped in the jungle. And we have good intentions and poor theology when we start to try to explain ways other than Christ that they might be saved. And ultimately the only answer is go do the work to take the word to them. The other answer, I guess, is God and his majesty and power sometimes brings them to the word. Often, always, I should say, brings them to the word too to match them up with our failures or our successes. But they are still saved only and always through Christ. There is no other way. Your neighbor, your family, your friend will only 
be saved through Christ. And there are no exceptions. That's one of the great truths along the lines of through Christ alone. That's the primary one. A second one, and this was very significant, you can understand how this would cause a fight when a Catholic priest says it and how it would start a reformation. But 1 Timothy 2, 5. There are many passages that say similar things. This is one of my favorites because I, I love the books of First and Second Timothy. But First Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one way. There's only one mediator. No other priest stands between us and God. And again, you can... You can understand how that would disrupt the church at the time. Their word, there were people that had died before, but it really blew open after, uh, after the Reformation started. Their word was in Latin, and they didn't speak Latin. So a priest literally stood between them and God because they couldn't read it. And if he read it and didn't translate, they couldn't understand it. So the priest stood between the mouth of God and their ear as a translator. And if you had a bad priest, you didn't have the word. And if you had somebody like Tetzel, you heard indulgences instead of verses. They had a mediator, and it was not a good situation, and One of the things that the Reformation said and Luther's looking at is we've become a barrier that was never intended instead of a help that was a blessing. They were never against pastors or spiritual leaders or mentors or anything else, but it was keeping it in the appropriate place. No absolution needed from the priest. No person needed to tell you what Scripture said. That's partly what we looked at last week, but that absolution was a big one, and it works in two ways. There's no priest that you have to run to other than Christ to find forgiveness and grace, and that is a blessing. Confession is good. Scripture makes that clear. However, you don't need to find me or Pastor Greg or Pastor Benji in a box to be forgiven. That's how we become a barrier. But the other way is that we become a buffer. That's where we hold off the wrath of God and say, nope, you don't need to worry about it because I've told you what to do to make it okay. That, by the way, is why gangs and the mafia have cozied up so much to priestdom because you could go find forgiveness without really having any kind of repentance because you were given a set of steps instead of being forced to your knees before Christ and saying, I have to come through you. And you're messy. See, when you grab my heart, you pick me up and shake me and all the bad comes out. And then you don't just let me go and walk away. You just keep messing with my life. i got to be honest, though, if I were in a priest's shoes, I would want to spend as little time with a mobster as possible. (laughs) 
Sure, you're good with God. Great. Head on out. Throw a couple bucks in the, in the tray on your way out the door. Don't come back for at least a decade. It was a good blessing. And we see history bear that out, by the way. As priests failed to confront mobsters and gangsters. Pastors sometimes doing the same thing. We act neither as a barrier holding you away from God, nor a buffer holding God away from you. As a Christian, you have met Christ face to face. If you are not a Christian, you must meet Christ face to face. And I can help you with that, but I do not stand between you. If anything, we stand alongside you, encouraging you. We stand with you in Scripture, examining it to see how both of us, all of us, should think about God and the world and ourselves and be transformed by that. But we don't stand between you and Christ as a mediator. He does. It's a wonderful, blessed truth in Scripture. And the third part, through, or a, another, I don't know, there's the only, but a third part of Christ alone, through Christ alone, by Christ alone, is we have because of that, access to God, access before the throne. As a pastor's kid, I, I have some neat, just because of the connection of church and as much as we try to separate it and remember God is different, he's not equivalent to the church, which is a good thing because the church is flawed and it fails. God is not flawed and he never fails. However, it's still this mix that's messy and good. So I have some amazing pictures from my own life, and now that I have my own kids, of failures on my part with this. But my favorite way to look at it is through Christ, we have access to God to run into his throne room without fear, no matter how messy we are. Look at Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, one of the first things to notice that is it's a time of need. I don't know if that's just, you know, I have physical need. My guess would be probably a little bigger than that. And Lord, I'm, I messed up again. And yet we approach with confidence. Because the priest is taking care of it. Christ, our mediator, is also the sacrifice. And he stands and he covers us and we are ushered in. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. A little while ago, I have one of my failures in this with Caitlin, and this is a very small scale, but we were doing some youth event. I'm not totally sure which one it was, but I think it was the Navajo trip, getting ready for it. And I try to tell my kids all the time, Daddy is yours. Because I want them to understand that concept of I have access to the Father all the time. And quite often we get that from our dad, like it or not. But it's daddy's yours. No matter what I'm doing anywhere else, I, you have my attention. You can understand how horribly I fail at that from time to time. But I was so busy, caught up being a youth pastor and doing my work, Caitlin ran up and wanted a hug and I pushed her away. 
And so, like Pastor Benji was talking about, from time to time as a pastor, you have to go to your kids and apologize. And I found her later, and I said, I'm sorry, hon. Daddy was too busy, and I should never be too busy. My favorite, some successes, and we try to, as a family, make sure we don't abuse this, is uh, I was doing a wedding from this spot, and my daughter was a flower girl. She was all of about three or four years old, and she ran up to me because, of course, there were stairs, and there was me, and who cares about anybody else? And Nathan has done that when he was younger during announcements. If you were in the room at some point, that was fun. And there's no arguing with Nathan that he's wrong in the moment. So it's much easier. And I just picked him up. Somebody mentioned it the other day. Picked him up, and I finished announcements that way. Fortunately, you guys still employ me here. But for my kids, it's a great reminder. You have access. No matter what dad is doing. And there are some social times it's not okay. You have access. That is the picture with us and God. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. When you read God's word, do you come before it with boldness? This is my Father's word to me. If your dad was in the military, we have some military men, and you got a letter after six months of distance and separation. Would anything stop you from reading it? Or now, if you got a Skype, a phone call, satellite phone call, would your friends stopping by keep you from talking to your dad or mom who's on the battlefield? No, it wouldn't. Nor, neither would, by the way, your shame. If you had just done something, giving your mom or dad, whoever was at home, a hard time, there's no way you would avoid that time with your parent, with your father, just because you'd had an argument two hours ahead of time. You would want to talk to your dad because you maybe have 15 minutes. We're told... Come with confidence before God when we read his word, when we pray, when we come into church. When we're convinced he doesn't want us because we've messed our life up so much. God says, I already dealt with that. You have nothing to fear. You're my child. I'm the mediator. And I've said you're welcome. Through Christ alone. On the flip side, if it was from good behavior that we had access to God, none of us would ever have access to God. You've never been that good. I have never been that good. Fortunately, it's through Christ alone. The last one, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. A verse that's often paired with this is or paired with this concept at least, the glory of God, is Isaiah 43, verse 7. It's why we were made. It's why we exist. Why we were saved. Why we were created. Anything you want to put in reference to you that is good, it is for God. 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name is talking about pulling God's people together. Whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Our purpose, the reason we take another breath, the reason that we were saved, 
the reason anything exists and anything happens was for the glory of God and is for the glory of God. And we need to never lose sight of that, whether it's a verse like 1 Corinthians 10.31 that says everything we're doing needs to be for that purpose, or it's how we think about salvation and how we do church. No matter what it is, we need to do it for the glory of God and recognize that is its purpose and our purpose. Again, created, saved, and exist for the glory of God. And the other part of that is, and no credit goes to man, to any man, any woman, any person. It's not because we're smarter than anybody else that we sit here and worship God. It's just to the glory of God. It's not because we're more broken, we're all equally broken. Our very everything is for the glory of God. Ephesians 2.9, again, that's a verse that could be used for almost all of these. I know it's on the screen. I like turning there. Ephesians 2.9, not by works. is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Look at the history of the church and how much boasting about how special we are takes place. We all fall into that trap from time to time. If you think you don't or you've grown past that, just wait until whoever walks through that door that disrupts your picture of who should be sitting next to you. Because we do that all the time. If it helps, just think about how crazy the young people look. (laughs) I know this from working with students. They get crazier every year. They just will find a way to be as absurdly attired and acting as as disruptive as they can, not necessarily in bad ways, but just in interesting ways. It's just the nature of the world. And the older and older we are as Christians, sometimes the harder and harder it is to see through that and see a young person that God wants to capture. Or an old person that looks really young. (laughs) Old people do some funny stuff too. I won't go there yet. Galatians 6.14. By old, by the way, old to my youth group is about 22. Galatians 6.14 says a different way to live. To the glory of God, not to the credit of any man. Galatians 6.14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, an eye to the world. Dead men don't boast. Crucified people are dead. However, we can boast in Christ. And it's interesting if you track the argument in Galatians here, and right after this, Paul actually boasts a little bit, but in a, in a good way. He's talking to a bunch of legalists, people who are all about faith and works. And in this case, it's circumcision. And he says, great, you want to cut up your body, fine. Let's have a little contest. I'll take my shirt off and we can look at the scars that I've incurred in seeking the glory of Christ. Who wants to argue now? I don't know that any of us would beat Paul in that contest. And he throws it out to them, but really he starts with, if I boast, I boast in Christ, it is to his glory 
is for his purposes. One caution, I see this with John 3.16 and some others. Hopefully I don't get in trouble here. I don't think I've ever heard it here at Grace. Um, if I have, we'll show grace to whoever said it. But sometimes in arguing for the glory of God, we manage to negate that to God's glory, he acted in love. We can never celebrate a truth of Christ or a truth of Scripture by negating another truth of Scripture. At that point, we are failing to recognize the original truth. Scripture is cohesive. It makes sense throughout. There are some tensions in it, but we need to be careful not to run to one truth and ignore a different truth, whether it is the tension between God's love and justice or the tension in salvation between God's glory, which is the entire purpose, but also that he saved because he loved. If you only focus on his glory, you are no longer glorifying him. Because his loving character is who he is, you cannot separate that. We try to our shame, but that's just a caution. I've seen that. Theology is wonderful. Do not ever be afraid of it. But do be careful as you Speak on theology. Do your best to stick to it. And wrapping up, a few things with the solas and some things I'd encourage in light of Reformation Day. Number one, there's two great movies on Luther. If you want to know some more, they're entitled Luther. <laughs> there's a TV show called Luther. Very different. Don't go rent that. However, look at them. One is from 2003. One is from 1953. And they're both excellent. This was a significant moment in our faith. We quite literally, as Baptists, would not be here were it not for that. Granted, God is sovereign, and there is always a faithful group of Christians in the world. So it could have happened at a different time and through a different people, but God moved through Luther and Calvin and the others. And it is a significant moment. Pay attention to that. If you want more reading because you like the 95 Thesis, try Jonathan Edwards' Resolutions. It's short. It's good. But in that, time, wrapping this up, celebrate the faithful. There have been many godly Christians who are not perfect. But men and women throughout history that are worth reading about their relationship with Christ. So we can celebrate and learn from them. But above all, whether you celebrate tomorrow or not or how you celebrate anything, celebrate Christ. Boast in Christ. Recognize how amazing it is that it is through Scripture alone and faith and grace alone and Christ alone and to the glory of God alone. Those are great statements that we find, not phrased that way in truth all the time, but borne out by the truths of Scripture. And I want to end with a few more excerpts from the 95 Theses. This is about two-thirds of the way through. 62, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and the grace of God. Celebrate the gospel. In your life, in the life of others. 63, but this treasure is naturally most odious, for it makes the first to be last. Make sure it's not offensive to you. That's when we add and is when we start finding the gospel odious to our shame. 
64, on the other hand, the treasure of indulgences is naturally most acceptable, for it makes the last to be first. 65, therefore, the treasures of the gospel are nets with which they formerly were wont to fish for men of riches. 66, the treasure of indulgences are nets with which they now fish for the riches of men. We may not have indulgences in the church, but how many other things do we manage to slip in place of the treasure of the gospel? How many other things do we manage to slip into the pedestal that Christ alone should be upon? And we trade Christ for everything else instead of looking at him and saying it is him alone. It is his way alone that matters. Let's pray. Lord, keep us focused on you. Focused on your word. Focused on eternal things rather than earthly treasures. Lord, may we always celebrate you in everything we do and everything we think and everything we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.